So here we are now, and today I'd like to go through some political buzzwords. Now, normally what we talk about here on this channel is meditation, psychology, philosophy, and personal stories that are fun. So this is a little bit left of field for what we normally do, but I hope that by going through this and having this sort of crash course in politics, you can see the importance of personal development, the importance of meditation, psychology, relationships. Because we are in a world where so much is ruled by politics, so much is governed by politics from a certain paradigm, and we will do certain paradigm comparisons as we go along. So this is a crash course. This is basic stuff, one, two, three, ABC sort of politics. And what I've got is a list of buzzwords. So these are the words that come up again and again when people talk about politics. And you might think, well, I sort of know what that means. I sort of don't know what that means. So we're going to go through that list. And then we're going to look at the deeper level, as we always do. What is the deeper meaning? What is the deeper significance? And I hope that you can see through all politics. That is the key insight. It's not a matter of which position is correct. It's not a matter of what is right or wrong. It's not a matter of morality. It's not even a matter of theory or concept. It is a matter of seeing through. It is a matter of seeing things as they are. It's a matter of awareness, as it always is. How do you transcend the game to see it clearly? So let's begin and let's get through this because this is hands down gun blazing what we're going to do. Now, we're going to go through this quite quickly. We might skim over these. These are big subjects. These are big topics, but at least with a sort of chalk outline of these things and a sort of quick comic book sketch of these things, you can start to get a sense of what it's like to see through these things. So, in no particular order, here we have our grand list of political buzzwords. Number one, conservatism. If you're a conservative, you have conservative values. This means, fundamentally, we follow the rules. Things work as they are, and if we could just follow the rules, then things would be fine. We don't need to change things too much. We just need to let things roll slowly. We need things to be gradual. Just follow the rules. Fit in with society. Do what everyone else does, and we'll all get along fine. Conservatism. We're conservative. Now, Traditional values is another one of these buzzwords. I don't know if it's on the list later on. I think it is, but we'll get back to it again. But conservatism is related to traditional values. And that is you go to school, you go to college, you go to university, you get your degree, you get your job, and then you buy a house, you get married, you have kids, and that's your life. You have your church on Sunday if you want to throw in the religious side of it, and you have your political party, your sports team that you like, and that is the traditional values. That's the conservative values. That's the ABC life blueprint. Now, there are 
many more complexes to conservatism. There's not only conservatism as in the traditional values, but then there's also conservatism as in how closely you hold to your beliefs. And that's a very deep rabbit hole, which we have discussed in the past and we might discuss again, but let's move on. From conservatism, we have liberalism. So liberalism is another one of these political buzzwords. And liberalism is you get to do what you want. Have fun. You're free. Go and experiment. Go to India. Do drugs. Have sex with different people. Try lots of things. Have experiences. Yes. Have a revolution, right? Liberalism, it's all about the individual. It's all about the the freedoms. And anyone can do what they want so long as it feels good for them. Respect the individual. And a lot of the time, liberalism comes along with, well, We need to change the rules. We need to try some experimental policy. We need to find some funding from a certain way and redirect it and actually change things. So liberalism in many ways is in contradiction to conservatism, which wants things to move slowly. Now, of course, liberalism has a number of different complexes and shades and dynamics, and there's a whole range of ways in which it plays out. So Just keep in mind, I will remind you again, that this is just a textbook sort of quick sketch. So don't get up in arms if I'm sort of lumping too much together. Now, the next buzzword, authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is a system of government where you say, okay, one person's in charge and you do as they say or you die. They make the rules. They have the power. You can't elect them. You can't get them out of office. You can't have them unelected. Nothing like that. It is that they are the boss. They are the supreme leader. They are the deity, right? There might be in many authoritarian systems, there's a kind of religious or sort of deity component to it that the boss is actually not just a political leader, but a divine leader. So that's authoritarianism. They control the media, they control the police, they control law, they control the economics, they control all of the power, right? And of course, there are multiple forms of authoritarianism. There are multiple ways in which it has manifested itself in a number of different countries over the last few centuries. Now, next political buzzword, which is sort of in relation to authoritarianism, and that is communism. Communism is, okay, Instead of having one person as the leader, let's all get together and share everything equally. Let's have a community. That's what communism is. Communityism. Action and theory or ideology of community. And of course, well, that's a theory. That's an idea. That has been tried in many ways on many levels. And the thing that comes up immediately is, well, where do you draw the line of the group? By how far do you actually have the community? Is it a community of, say, a thousand people? Is it a community of, say, a state? Is it a community of a country? Or is it the community of the world? But basically, communism is let's get together, let's share, and let's all have a good time in having things as equal. Now, just like authoritarianism, 
Communism has many dark chapters in its history. It has been twisted and turned in many dark ways and has a, a, a terrible track record as well as, well, in essence, being a very good idea in some regards. So communism, very big subject. We're only going to skim over it. There's, there's so much to say about it. Now, next political buzzword, democracy. Democracy is, okay, let's have a system of government where everyone gets to vote for who should make the rules. And let's have different scales, different levels, and the person that gets the most votes, they decide the rules of the society. And they put themselves out by, uh, what's the word for uh, sort of, I've forgotten the word now for campaigning. That's the word. They put their campaign out by saying, okay, what are the policies you're going to put into place and how will it benefit society and will it elect you on that basis? Now, of course, that's a very big system and many countries have different levels, different processes, different tiers. They have like state and like it's it's too much to summarize in how many different forms of democracy there are. But in essence, the idea is let's just vote and all decide together as to who will be the best person to make the rules. And whoever gets the most votes wins. Now, next one, next to democracy is dictatorship. And that is very much closely aligned with authoritarianism. Dictatorship is there's only one person in charge and they decide the rules no matter what. There's no vote. There's no way in which you can get them out of office. They actually have the power no matter what. Now, we can distinguish between authoritarianism and dictatorship by saying, well, one actually tends towards more of the power and control and enforcing on people, and a dictatorship is more on the side of brainwashing and propaganda and actually manipulating people through information. And and basically, every in every case, there's a blend between these two. It's like one and the same in so many ways. So that sort of distinction doesn't really serve us much in this sort of crash course. Now, next political buzzword colonization. Colonization is where you have a country which is supposedly unoccupied and we decide to turn up and build a new society. And if there's anyone there, well, we kill them because they're heathens, they're regressive, they're barbaric, and they're not taking care of the land. And many countries have a very dark history of colonization and destroying the natives of their land. Colonization is, in so many instances throughout human history, a a story of violence, blood, and just a, a a disgraceful loss of precious culture amazing culture, traditional culture. So that's colonization. And it is your duty to know the story of how your country was colonized. Now, of course, some countries were colonized 
more recently than others. Australia is a very young country. It's only been a few hundred years since we've been colonized. Very young. We're just in our infant stages in many ways. Other countries are much older and the colonization process is not as black and white as someone turning up on a ship to overpower the natives. In other countries, well, it's a little bit more blurred. The the way in which things unfolded is a little bit more gradual. So colonization has many different colors to it as well. Now, next, political buzzwords. Policy, which goes hand in hand with law. The policy is, well, what's the idea of what we do in this situation? And the law is, well, if someone doesn't do this thing, then they will be punished. And that is a huge component of politics. That is a huge component of how do we decide to run the country, the law and the policies. That is basically the rules of society. Okay, next political buzzword we've got is politicians. So politician is sort of how we discussed before the idea of democracy. Politician is the someone is the person who brainstorms the policy. They brainstorm the idea of the laws and they say this is my idea for a law. This is the effect that it will have and this is how it's going to come into effect. This is how we're going to actually get this law to exist in the world because that's also part of the process, right? The process of creating a law or creating a policy involves having an understanding of how the system works, what has to be checked, what has to be refined, what stamps of approval it needs to have, and all of that, right? That's a huge conveyor belt of process. So, Who has the power to do that and who has the knowledge to do that is really coming down to the politicians. So that's what a politician really should be. And you would say that, well, that could be what a politician is in many ways. But in another sort of more cynical view, a politician is someone who's just trying to win your vote, right? They're just trying to tell you what you want to hear so they will get elected for the power. And that's that's a whole nother discussion, right? That's a whole rabbit hole as to we can as to what we can say is, well, what do politicians do really? Do they really do pol- policies? Are they really there to serve the people? Or are they there to play a game of power? That's depending on a number of different paradigms and processes and how you look at it. It's a very deep discussion, but let's move on. Okay, next we have Democrats and Republicans. And basically, this is a divide of values and politicians that works in the structure of political process in basically American politics. In Australia, we have the the liberals and the the, the Labour Party, right? So, you know, this is like your blue and your red. And, and this is just part of the system. And you could even say that, well, if I have certain values, then I'm leaning more towards the Democrats or certain values and I'm more towards the Republicans. <laughs> I'm sort of, I almost got it mixed up between Australia and America there, sort of the, the, the Democrats and the, the, the Liberals. <laughs> maybe maybe there is something to say in that right there's there's like always some sort of divide and another component of as to why we have democrats and liberals and 
liberals and labor and republicans is that when you have a political party or a group of politicians that are pushing a policy you need someone to counter it you need someone to say what's wrong with it you need to say how can we improve it and what can we do to sort of fight for the people who will be disadvantaged by this policy so that's that's why democracy is often divided into these two fights on two sides whether it's called republican or labor or liberal or whatever so next on our list of political buzzword is international relations so this is how countries relate to each other and there's three things at play that i can see one is natural resources two is labor and three is tariffs and trade so if a country has natural resources such as minerals or oils or something of that nature there's going to be an interest in it from other countries and there's going to be in many cases throughout human history exploitative interests and that's actually something that ties in with colonization colonialism so natural resources is very big on the agenda for international relations labor is basically how we have china as the world's superpower it's made in china because we can get a product made in china for cheap and then sold somewhere else around the world and that's going to be something that actually ties in with capitalism which we'll get to soon enough third point for international relations is tariffs and trade so that is that we have this this resource or this product right we might have some oil or some iron ore or we might have manufactured something such as cars or technology and we can then sell that to other countries at a profit because they don't have those products so the price will be higher it will be of more value which will mean that we can have a very healthy business by exporting and also therefore importing now what the government does is they say hang on a second you can't come into our country and start selling stuff at such a big profit because you're taking advantage of our uh, as our citizens as customers and it's also then competing with the local businesses so what we're going to do is we're going to charge you a tariff if you want to sell things in our country if you want to import into our country and you better pay some money and of course the big corporations look at the tariffs and they say well actually it's still worth it for me because i'm making so much profit i can actually pay that tariff and still import it and keep turning over my massive business so tariffs international relations trade agreements that is very much at the heart of international relations and that's when it goes south right when there's tensions between a country they say no you can't import and then the country has all these things that they can't sell and their economy starts to collapse and then of course at home right they realize okay now we have this product that we don't have in supply anymore we need to manufacture it ourselves which is going to drive prices right so it's a very very complex balancing act through all of these things all right next on our list which is sort of what we're getting to is economics so economics is how does the money flow throughout society and in so many countries 
what we have is tax and tax is at the heart of this can be another one of our political buzzwords right tax is at the heart of politics and economics so what we do is we say okay we've got ourselves a country and people are working people are trading people are selling things let's get the government to collect some of that money and then spend it for the greater good and we'll spend it on roads we'll spend it on hospitals we'll spend it on schools and that way well it'll be a better society by evening out the spread so how do we tax people how do we have a tax rate and who do we tax and when and by how much and by what means well that's tax law that's tax as a process and economics is well where do we drive the money where do we spend the money okay so some of it's on schools some of it's on roads what else is there going to be any money for grants is there going to be arts funding is there going to be culture funding right are we going to fund some things because we believe that in a rich society we want to have opera and esoteric art and shakespeare and those sorts of things might not even be able to go ahead unless there's some sort of government subsidy and of course because there's so much money because there's so much surplus in a rich society then they can afford that right that's what a rich society is it's something that has it's a society that has rich culture so economics is massive right there's so much in economics and you know a big one for australia at the moment is housing prices right what's driving the housing price there's a housing price boom prices go up and up and up and related to this is the interest rate right how much can you charge for your loan on your house and this is sort of more on the side of economics than it is on politics but basically we say okay so you want a house but you can't afford one so the bank says let me lend you the money so you can have your house now and then you can pay it back with a little bit extra over time so you're paying interest and that way you'll actually have your house you'll be able to keep working your job you'll be able to enjoy and live it and we'll both be able to have more money but of course at what rate do you charge that little bit extra well that's the interest rate and if you have it as a little bit more then well i can't afford the repayments on my house so i have to sell the house and move to somewhere smaller or move somewhere else entirely and if the interest rate is lower well then you've got more people borrowing money so that means there's more people available to buy the houses which means the market is going to be in more demand so the prices will go up so it's it's sort of like a a balancing act and this isn't even to say anything of inflation and consumer pricing index right so let's not get too far down economics because that's a big thing that is related to politics but economics is one of those buzzwords that is clo- closely related to politics now capitalism capitalism is you can make a product and you can sell it it is the free market you can sell it for whatever price you want and you can make it by any means that you want the free market is the cornerstone of capitalism now what happens when you have a free market is someone says hey you've got a really good little business there you're doing this sort of product and you're selling it i think i can come along and make another product just like it which is 
just as good and I'm going to sell it for less and I'm going to go into competition with you. So there you have the free market competition and that drives innovation, that drives technology, that drives inventiveness and it drives the price, right? The prices of things even out across this free market. When you have something that is a very good price and a very good profit, there's always going to be someone who's going to see that and come in and try it. So the the diminishing return is always going to be there in profiteering. So basically profiteering is one of these subterms for capitalism. Now, the other side of capitalism is regulation, right? So instead of having a free market where you can make any product and sell it for whatever you want, the government comes in and says, hey, what you're making is not necessarily good for society. You're actually making too much profit and it's actually hurting society, right? So that will be regulations and laws. So this might be a product that has a health deficit and actually impacts the the health of the society, which means people are hospitalized. Things like tobacco, things like alcohol, things like pharmaceuticals, right? And then, of course, the government can have that actually as a kind of income unto themselves, right? It's almost like the the government is making business out of their own <laughs> their own sort of regulation and there's no end to the stories of things that have been regulated too late right people have been quick to market to make a product that is hurtful and it's been up to the government to catch on and to say actually you need to stop doing that and you might say well there's a lot of things in in the world today, even on the market today, which which shouldn't not necessarily be regulated, but should not even be on the market at all, right? There's there's some things which the government will say, no, you cannot sell those things because they are that destructive to society. So don't get me started on regulation because that is another very big subject. All right. So next, that that was capitalism. Let's look at now Marxism. Now, Marxism is named after a political theorist who was prominent in the 20th century by the name of Karl Marx. And his idea was that there's certain class systems and the lower class needs to unite to overthrow the higher class because they have the power. Basically, this is the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. And it does tie into this image of capitalism and the working class. And, you know, class systems is sort of a whole nother thing unto itself. And and communism is sort of a diluted word, right? It's sort of closely related to Marxism, but it it doesn't quite exactly mean what Marx, I believe, meant by it. And a lot of the time, here's the thing to understand about Marxism. A lot of the time, this word, Marxism, it is used to describe something just as a way of easy talking. It's just as something to refer to a political process or forces of politics that we are involved in today. A lot of the time, the word Marxism doesn't actually mean what Karl Marx meant. Right, And you'll find that in words. That's actually the confusion. This actually gets onto a very important point. This is why there's so much confusion 
in navigating the political sphere. It's because paradigms, systems, life conditions, processes, they're always changing. They're always reoccurring. They're always shifting and relating to each other. And the words can't keep up. We tend to use words that are just familiar to us. We use words that we've heard before. We use words that people will just agree to listen to so that the continuation of the conversation can flow on, right? And that's that's an exact example in this word Marxism. So if someone's starting this high philosophy talk about Marxism, just take it with a grain of salt. It's really a point to say, you know, you don't need to have so much of a big elaborate theory about Marxism. You don't need to have so much of that. And it doesn't really matter. And this does tie in with one of my core points that I said right at the start of this conversation, which is that you need to see through this, right? It's not worth having some elaborate theory of Marxism. You know, you can read the Communist Manifesto and have an opinion on it and have sort of ideas about how it works or how it doesn't work or either side of it and how it's been implied historically and what the implications are and all the rest of it, right? But at the end of the day, Marxism is just a word. So keep that in mind. I hope I haven't hit this point too hard, but it will be important to remember that as we get deeper into this. Now, from Marxism, we have civil liberties. So this phrase, this buzzword, civil liberties, is related to liberalism. Civil liberties means you can move about how you want You can go where you want, you can buy what you want, you can have experiences where you want. So this is about the individual in a society being able to live their life freely. And this differentiates between liberalism in that there's a class and racial divide that needs to be broken down with this this term civil liberties, right? So if you were a person of color, if you were someone who had a different class background, then at certain times in history in certain cultures and certain countries, you wouldn't be able to go to certain places, right? You wouldn't be able to go to a certain nightclub. You wouldn't be able to sit on a certain place on the bus. You wouldn't be able to, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You wouldn't be able to get a certain job somewhere, you know, right? So civil liberties really gets into that equality of who can go where, who can do what, irregardless of race, creed, or belief, or class. So that's civil liberties. Now, human rights. Human rights is another one of our buzzwords, and this is where we agree that you should have something no matter who you are. This goes this goes sort of even deeper than civil liberties, and this is basic human rights to have the ability to have that supplied to you, which means that if you don't have that thing, it is society's obligation to provide it for you. Now, on a most basic sense, it would be shelter. It would be water. It would be access to a lawyer, right? If you are (laughs) – sort of funny that, that it goes in that order. It's like food, shelter, water, and then a lawyer, right? You know, the lawyer is in that top top four or five category of human rights. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot to that, right? The, the, 
the world of human rights has so much that needs to be discussed and where we draw that line, you know, it's a matter of, well, who goes where, right? I would say that people should have the human right to have their universal basic income. It should be up to the government to pay people an income. Now, that's a that's a big rabbit hole that we can go down in a later conversation. But that's, for me, just drawing the line somewhere, right? If you can say people just deserve water and food, then that's one thing. If they deserve water and food and healthcare and a lawyer and shelter and the right to work, then that's like drawing the line somewhere else. And it's like we just draw the line further and further. So it's, it's very deep. There's a lot of different ways in which you can discuss human rights. And people make their career out of, well, illustrating what is the best human right picture. Like what is the list of human rights that we should be fighting for and how do we get that? How do we achieve that? How do we work with the politicians to make that law, to make that something that the society can afford to pay for, right? Because part of your budget in your economics is going to be paying for the people who can't afford to take care of themselves. So it ties in together. It all comes back together. Now, next on the list, we've had civil liberties, human rights, constitution. So the constitution is the the set of rules by which we work the rules and we work the politics. So It's almost like a meta set of rules as to how do we govern ourselves? What is the process by which we do the voting or we do the budget or we do the economics? And it's foundational to any sort of very much de- democ- democracy. I mean, constitution is very much a democracy kind of invention, even though constitutions do exist in other countries and other systems of governance. But that is just the rules by which we make the rules and how we decide to make the rules. And also that always also includes how you change the constitution. The constitution includes the rules and the process as to how you change the rules. So in Australia, we have what's called the referendum, and that can be on certain issues, on certain levels, in certain ways. And so that's the constitution. Next on my list is the free market, which we mentioned in capitalism. So the free market is profiteering and selling what it is that you want to make. All right, next is ideology. So ideology is another one of these words that sort of gets thrown around a lot (laughs) without entirely being clear as to what it means. So here's what ideology means in a literal sense. It means ideal ology ideal means what would the best situation be and ology means the story about that how you talk about that as in anthropology or ornithology and there's a whole bunch of others which I've forgotten right now but there's a lot of ology words whenever you hear this word ology even even in the word psychology 
right? Psyche, spirit, ology. Spirit or existence. And what is your story about that? That's what psychology means. That's what the word psychology means. Psyche, ology. And here we have ideology, which is ideal story. How things, how would things be, right? So we're talking about politics. Well, if you were starting a society, what would you do? What would be your best society? How would you set it up? If someone gave you the keys to the city, they made you the supreme ruler, what would you do? What is your ideology? Now, the thing with ideology is people get attached to it. They get devoid from the reality of the situation and they don't see that their ideology is not going to work and they actually fight and live in a sort of frenzy, in a kind of aggression with their ideology. That's where it goes wrong. When it turns violent, that's where ideology turns pathological. But really, ideology is just the story about how things should be if they were the best way. Now, this ties in again with my main core point, which is you need to be able to see through this, right? Whenever anyone brainstorms an idea of how something should be, then you need to be able to see, okay, hear them out. Yes, there are some ideas in it. Yes, it could be good, but also these are just ideas. How devoid from reality are they? Where is the actual truth of the matter? Where is the cold, hard reality of the situation that we're in? And that means seeing through ideology. That's what's involved in seeing through ideology. And it takes introspection to do that. It takes awareness. It takes consciousness. It takes meditation. And that's what we're really working towards. Now, next point is political agenda. So this is when you have a politician who has an agenda, which is that they want to push certain policies for a certain reason. And it might be because of their relations with big business. It might be for backdoor profiteering. It might be for something shady. It might be for other sorts of favors. It might be for getting elected, right? So a political agenda is what is it that's really behind the politician? What is it that they're really pushing? On the surface, we see that there is a promise. There is an idea of, okay, this is what you'll do if you get elected as a politician. And then there's the real story. There's the behind the eyes. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get deeper into this. This is a fundamental point. Now, next point is power. Political power. Influence is a sort of related word to power, but we're talking about political theory buzzwords. Power is one of those words. There are people with the power to sign documents which affect thousands of people's of lives. There are people with money that can do things that will affect thousands and thousands of people. It will affect their income. It will affect the quality of the jo- their jobs. It will affect the quality of their life. It will affect the quality of their ability to get an education. It will affect their ability to have 
class mobility and intellectual mobility, right? This upward movement of in- intelligence and as, as well as financial mobility, right? Th- this is power. This is why politics is so triggering. This is why it actually is something that people engage so much with because these people who are in power, they have power and it affects people's lives. Now, it's quite scary to think that for one person, the situation is that they are signing a piece of paper. Just just imagine the sensation, the feeling of signing a piece of paper, right? You're just sitting in a normal room, like wherever you're sitting now, you're holding a pen. Where's my pen? Actually, I, ha- I haven't got my pen. It's down there. Yes, I haven't got my pen. Sorry. So I can't show you my pen. But basically, imagine a pen and just just signing your name. Right? It, it's such a simple, mundane, basic occurrence in your experience. And yet that moment can cause a set of changes that will affect thousands of people's lives, if not millions of people's lives in so many ways, in so many ways. And that that is really why politics is so triggering. So power is a big one. And it's not just the politicians that have the power. Another related word to power is influence, right? Because it might be that if you're someone with big money, if you're a billionaire, it's actually the case that you you can do these sorts of things and have influence over policies and law in such a way that it's actually you that is affecting it, right? So just because it's the politician that is signing the document doesn't mean that they're not under another influence from somewhere else. Okay, next on our political theory buzzwords, popular opinion. This is what the majority of the people think about not just the politicians, but the story of the day and the news of the day and the situation that we're in, the society that we're in. And a politician learns to successfully manipulate this. They learn to have the popular opinion be favorable to them, right? They want to be seen as someone who is good, someone who is helpful to society. So popular opinion is just the majority. It's just the vast majority. Now, you can argue, (laughs) you might argue that popular opinion is always wrong. And there, there is some truth in that. I mean, we're talking so broadly that, you know, there's not there's not really any truth in saying anything about it at all, right, in a sense. But in another sense, popular opinion is just the common masses. It is something that is manipulated by the propaganda and the people and the powers that be, the people that are in power in certain ways. So, you know, there's that classic book by Noam Chomsky called Manufacturing Consent, and that goes deep into that. Okay, next on our list, political buzzword list, outrage. This is the emotional response to the situation that we're in. Outrage is the start of the revolution. Outrage is a response that acts somewhere out of the 
realm of the normal rules, right? We we sort of have this idea of, oh, if you don't like a politician, then don't vote for them, right? Well, not exactly, because there is another option, which is revolution, which is outrage. So outrage is is sort of the key emotion as to what's going on here. And we can actually tie in the whole spectrum of emotions and do a a complete analysis on politics just through the lenses of emotions, emotional analysis and emotional intelligence and emotional spectrum. So outrage is a very important part of that. Uh, just, Just give me a second. I'm going to get some water. All right. Sorry about that. I just had to get some water. So where were we? Outrage, the emotional spectrum. That is a very interesting way of approaching this whole discussion. Now, next point on our political buzzwords is witnessing. And this is where we get into consciousness. And this is what I really mean by actually looking at the situation and assessing ideas just as ideas, assessing situation, situations and the, the truth of the matter and the events of the time just as they are. So we will circle back to witnessing a little bit later on. Now, next on our political buzzwords is related to outrage, which is activism and protesting. So protesting is where you say, we can't wait to just not vote for you. So we're going to gather together with a plaque that says, I don't agree with your policy. And then I'm going to march down to where the government is sitting. And I'm going to show you in a big crowd as to how much people disagree with your idea of policies and law and how you're governing things. And that comes from when Actually, there's been an effect. There's actually been someone who's signed the line and then that chain of events has happened and people are outraged, people are hurt, people are disadvantaged. So that's where protesting comes from. Activism, closely related to protesting, is where you say, okay, there's an injustice, there's something bad that's happening, there's something shady or there's something that we really shouldn't stand for in the society, but... It's not exactly common knowledge. People need to know about it because the dissemination of this information is quite difficult, right? It's an event that or it's a policy that is a little bit tricky. It's a little bit nuanced. It's a little bit hard to see, well, what is the story behind it? What is the actual effect? It might not have affected you, but it's affected these other people. And you need to see that it has affected these other people because you need to actually help us get out of this. And I think if you see how it has affected people, you would agree that it's a bad thing and then you can help, right? Because if we just say you have to vote for what you don't like, then you might have to say, well, I need to get more people voting for something because they're not exactly clear as to what they don't like because they haven't been told, they haven't been expressed, right? There's something just in the immensity of the complexity That means that you're disadvantaged when something doesn't get expressed. So that's where activism comes in. And this is actually related to the next few points that I've got. So next point is propaganda, which is where stories and information is disseminated throughout the media and 
the press, and that's done in such a way as to influence the way people think. It's designed to influence the view of another political party. It's designed to influence the view of another class of people. It's designed to influence your view on basically how the money is spent on the policies or what's going wrong, right? So this thing of activism and propaganda, they're sort of in a funny way closely related. And next point is related to all this again still, which is journalism. So the, the role of the journalist is to actually do the digging and to explain it to us common folk because policies are complex implications in society are complex they're vast the things that politicians get up to are not necessarily broadcast so the pol- the journalist's job is to go and read the documents that the politicians work with to actually go into the details and then to say ah okay so that's what this means in layman terms. That's what this means to the common man. So now I can go and tell people about this so that the common people understand what's going on and they understand what the politicians are up to. Now, good journalism is in so many ways catching the politician out, right? That's sort of the classic claim to fame of the journalist. If you can catch a politician out, then you can really make your mark as a journalist. That's, that's really their job, right? It's to hold them accountable. It's to stop them from doing the backdoor deals, from doing the shady deals, from being invested in policies that are for their own self-interest, from associating with people that they shouldn't really be associating with, from moving off from the path of serving the public if, you, <laughs> if we're not even that far. I mean, <laughs> it, it sounds so absurd to say it like that in so many ways, but... You know, the journalist has that job because it's so complex. And journalism doesn't just go for politics as well. It also goes for other stories. It also goes for people in business, right? You can be a journalist who investigates a business or a venture, someone who's taking advantage of the free market and profiteering through a shady product. Well, that's where the journalist comes in to call them out. So it's not just for the politicians. Next political theory buzzword is public discourse. Now, in Australia, the classic idea of that is we have the TV show, which is called Q&A, and that is where we have people come together, journalists, politicians, common people, and they get to talk about things. They get to share their experiences They get to share their outrage. They get to write their vision of activism, of what is important to them and how things should be, share their ideas, and that is the public discourse. Now, of course, in today's climate, we have the online discourse, which is that people don't just do this on the TV, right? In earlier decades, it would be people who would just be in a TV studio and we would watch them and if you had the chance to actually go on the TV show then that was lucky you and the majority of people would be able to just have to, well they would have to just listen along and not have their two cents but now everyone's got a camera and a microphone and their own channel and they're all spouting their own ideas they're all spouting their own 
opinions about the situation. You can actually go and find a, a whole range of conflicting information. So that's public discourse. And, you know, it does become unsavory. People be, do become aggressive, violent, and very much unnice, unkind. They're very much like, oh, I mean, what's the word for it? It's just, it's like a bitter taste. Like, why can't we get along? Why can't we have this as a conversation which can be sort of done with respect to one another? And in some ways, you can't have that conversation. You shouldn't have that conversation. It's like, why should you engage on one level? You need to just come back to yourself and discover yourself. But that is something we'll expand on in a moment. But that's public discourse. And related to public discourse is free press. And this is part of democracy, which is that a portion of the funds should go towards allowing people to do journalistic work without having to profiteer for it, right? So journalism and profiteering actually has a connection there because you can sell stories which feed into a certain ideology and that can actually cause you to profit, right? So it's like you remember this image of the journalist investigating the person who's profiteering and catching them out? Well, actually, it can be the other way around as well, which is that the journalist is spouting this story in order to profit from it. There's big money in journalism. There's big money in spouting people's ideology back to themselves. So the, the free press, I'll just add that uh, just add that up, is that the democracy system says there should be a, a press system or business which can rely on public funding, public money which will mean that it doesn't matter that there's an influence, right? Then it can be trusted because there's not an influence of profiteering or biz, biz, big business going on. So that that's the idea there. Okay, next we have left and right. So you see this in political theory buzzwords. Are you on the left or are you on the right? And this does become a bit murky because generally we say when you're on the left – you're a lib liberal liberalism. You're a young libertarian, and I say young just as a as a general sort of majority kind of thing. And then on the right, you're conservative, and that's that's not exactly right. That's very much murky. I mean, now the left and the right has actually blurred in so many ways because we have this complex thing. And you could even say that this idea of left and right doesn't work because we don't have a polar political process. We have a multi-dimensional, multi-paradigm political process, which I hope you're starting to see as we go through these political buzzwords. But that's something you'll come up to again and again. It's the left and the right. And whether you are, like the, the question as to are you left or are you right is I, I'm neither. I, I've transcended that. I don't adhere to either of them. I see through it, right? I'm witnessing them. I'm not stuck into them. Now, of course, if you did a questionnaire, right, you did the political questionnaire as to what you feel, then you would fit somewhere on the spectrum. And me, you know, I'd probably be quite 
quite liberal. I'm very much open to new experiences and progressive things and progressive ideas. But, you know, that, that's, that's very different to actually being able to see through it, right? To be able to see through it and to, just to let it go and say, you know, I don't really hold that so precious. So that's left and right. Now, next political theory buzzword is groupthink. Groupthink is when you have an idea or an ideology or a social movement that has moved into a group of people and they're all thinking the same and they're all acting the same and they're all reinforcing their own beliefs and their own ideas. This is also known as the echo chamber and it's seen worse on a social media platform such as Twitter. Twitter has been proven to be absolutely toxic for groupthink and the echo chamber. Related to that is mania. Mania is when people actually get into a frenzy over what they believe because of the feeling around them. And also, again, related to that is social contagion. So that's when you are in a cert, you're in an echo chamber and you are influenced in such a way as to start to get on board with that. And that's how groupthink grows. That's how groupthink develops. Okay, next word on our list is values. And this is where we get into the psychology side of it. What do you value? What is important to you? And how does that tie in with your political beliefs or your political ideas? It's really, it's really a word that I don't want to include here. It's really a word that I want to keep just as psychology because values is really one of the keys to your actualization. It's the keys to what is more important to you and what is not just more important to you, but how what is important to you becomes more important and more meaningful, right? What's important to you now, what you value now, is something that changes. It's something that graduates. So what you want now, what you value now, will become less valuable later on and something new will become more valuable. If you're actualizing, if you're becoming sort of further up the scale of the hierarchy of Maslow's needs or the developmental psychology processes. What I will mention if you're interested in values is that I have an online course on developmental psychology and that is 20 hours of value structures. There's multiple systems of value structures and what it actually means to go through those levels and to have your values graduate. So check that out. Learn developmental psychology. It's 20 hours. You can pick it up on Udemy. It's a video course and we go through everything you need to know. It's a, it's a comprehensive course on value structures. Next, we have culture. So culture is the customs and the times of a society. It is the music, it is the leisure time, it is the recreational time, it is the ceremonies, it is the art, the music, the rest of it. Did I already say music? I can't remember. But culture is tied in with politics in a certain way. I mean, we're sort of getting further out now. Next on our list is class mobility. So this is something that we mentioned when we discussed capitalism and education. 
Next on the list is traditionalism, which we also mentioned when we discussed conservatism. So that is the story of you buy your house, you have your family, you have kids, you have your job. Well done, that's life. Next is social upheaval. So this is the this is the amount of unrest in a society. And this comes about from economic collapse, from lack of natural resources, and also from bad policies. So when you have social upheaval, you have people protesting and you have people without their basic human needs. Emancipation. So that is when you have someone who's colonized a country or overcome a country forcefully and then they've decided for whatever reason possibly through international relations or through some sort of agreement to then leave and they've gained their independence so the independence of a country is very different depending on which country you're from right so there's a history there emancipation is a big one along that's related to colonization and also to war so the Subject of war is something we'll leave off the cards, but that does tie into political buzzwords. That does also tie into international relations. And that's really that's really too much to say. Next on our list, we're getting to the end. We're getting close. There's not many more. Next is the rights movement. So this is when we have a class or a creed of peoples or a kinds of peoples or types of people who don't have the same rights as other people. And so you have the movement to actually allow them the rights. So this comes back to protesting activism and human rights. So two more on the list. We have social taboo. And this is interesting because in every society we have the laws, but then there's also, if you notice, there's unspoken laws. There's things that we don't talk about. There's things that we don't do. And this this is very sneaky. This is a whole conversation unto itself. But we have social taboos. We have unspoken laws, right? It's not written in any constitution or any big fancy political house anywhere. It is just that everyone agrees to these rules. And just to give you a quick example, for example... When you drive your car, it is an unspoken rule that you know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, if you're getting a little bit lost, if you're a little bit unsure about, you know, or should I turn here or should I not turn here, then then there's outrage, right? There is this thing of, oh, you're doing it wrong. You should know where you're going. You need to understand that so that other people don't get held up, right? And that's not a law. Getting lost, there's nothing against the law with getting lost, but it's a social taboo. And maybe we can have a whole conversation on social taboos because this is related to politics in a certain way. When you talk about certain things, it triggers people. It allows it 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 causes them to sort of have a reaction because, well, we shouldn't talk about that. Don't go there, right? There's certain things you just don't talk about. And Some people would say, well, we should be able to talk about everything. And some people would say, well, no, there's a reason we don't talk about certain things. There's a reason sensitive subjects are sensitive, right? 
That's a kind of pol- political game in and of itself, right? Social taboos, the social politics. That's a whole kind of politics unto itself, but it's closely related to this. Now, the last thing on the list, and that is UBI. And I did mention this earlier, but I'll just finish off this list with it because UBI is a great idea. And we're at the stage where we are rich enough that we should be able to afford it. And in so many ways, because of the way technology is evolving, it's going to mean that there is going to be a bigger difference between the people who own the businesses and the people who work in the businesses. Robotics is expanding, which means instead of having a person pick up the product off the truck and put it on a shelf or pick up the product off the shelf onto the truck, which either way it is, it means that Soon the robots are going to be doing that. And that's just one example, right? The robots are taking over in many different ways. But because it's going from humans to robots, it means that the owner of that business is going to profit more and have more efficiency and make more money overall, while the person that works there is now going to be unemployed. And that's essentially the reason why UBI is critical. And of course, all these ideas I got from Andrew Yang. So if you'd like to check out Andrew Yang, he's spoken on the Sam Harris podcast. That is a great place to start for having a vision for UBI. And he is just so intelligent. He's incredibly intelligent, much smarter than I'll ever be. And he's been in business. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been in politics. He's been around the block and his ideas are, well, he's just so sharp, right? He's just a really sharp guy. So that's UBI. Now, with this list, of course, it's not extensive. There are more words that come up. But I hope by now you're starting to see the picture. And the picture is that it's all just a game. It's like, it's like what's your point? What is your point? And the point is, there's no point. What's important is how you feel. What's important is your relationships. What's important is your ability to perceive the day, to taste your meal, to feel your food, to wake up with joy, to sense the tingling in your body, the sensations in your body, to be present, to be alive, to to live, right? It's all about living. It's all about life. And politics detracts from that in so many ways, in so many ways. It is all just a mind game. Now, what I've got here to sort of continue this conversation and to really help us get to the deeper level is I have a tarot card. And this is a tarot card that comes from the the Osho deck. So there's many forms of tarot cards. My favorite, of course, is the Osho deck. And we're not doing this as anything spooky or as anything new agey or as anything magical or anything like that, or even psychological. We're just doing this as a kind of 
thing to help us get to the deeper level and to help with some insights. So the card I've got here is politics. And what I'll do is I'll just read the commentary on politics. And if you're watching this on video, rather than just on the podcast, you can look at this image. Look at the image that has been drawn with the word politics. So I'll just describe it to you if you're only listening to this on podcast. We've got someone who's in sort of this green, ugly face with this snake around them. And they're sort of looking out from behind this mask, which is sort of bright and happy. So they're two-faced. It's got this slimy sort of snake, this slimy sort of evil, sinister face, which is just peeking out from behind this happy mask. And it's all in green, sort of this slimy green. This very ugly person. That's the, that's the image that was chosen to go with politics. Of course, it could have been any image, right? The artist could have drawn anything to this word politics. So now let me look at the commentary. So this is just from the booklet that goes with the tarot card deck. Do you recognize this man? All but the most innocent and sincere of us have a politician lurking somewhere in our minds. In fact, the mind is political. Its very nature is to plan and scheme and try to manipulate situation and situations and people so that it can get what it wants. Here the mind is represented by the snake, covered with clouds and speaking with a forked tongue. But the important thing to realize about this card is that both faces are false. The sweet, innocent, trust me face is a mask and the evil, toxic, I'll have my way with you face is a mask too. Politicians don't have real faces. The whole game is a lie. Take a good look at yourself to see if you have been playing this game. What you see may be painful, but not as painful as continuing to play. It doesn't serve anybody's interest in the end, least of all yours. Whether you may achieve in this way, or whatever you may achieve in this way, will just turn to dust in your hands. So that's, I believe, the commentary. And now we have the, the Osho quote. So I don't know if Osho spoke the commentary. It might have been someone else. But anyways, this is, this is insightful. So let's take a listen to this. Anybody who can be a good pretender, a hypocrite, will become your leader politically. 
and will become your priest religiously. All that he needs is hypocrisy. All that he needs is cunningness. All that he needs is a facade facade to hide behind. Your politicians live double lives. Your priests live double lives. One life from the front door, the other from the back door. And the back door life is their real life. Those front door smiles are just false. Those Those faces looking so innocent are just cultivated. If you want to see the reality of the politician, you will have to see him from his back door. There he is in his nudity, and he is, and so is the priest. These two kinds of cunning people have dominated humanity, and they have found out very early on that if you want to dominate humanity, make it weak, make it feel guilty, make it feel unworthy. Destroy its dignity. Take all glory away from it. Humiliate it. And they have found such subtle ways of humiliation that they don't come into the picture at all. They leave it to you to humiliate yourself, to destroy yourself. They have taught you a slow kind of suicide. Come back to your dignity. Come back to your personal strength. Discover again your awareness, your independence, your own critical thinking, your own insight of mind and experience. Let go of the games of politics. Let go of the games of social media and the mainstream media and the stories of the day. Let go of the tensions between the different types of people that you encounter. Let go of the tensions between the different ideas and paradigms and philosophies and concepts that you encounter. Just come back to yourself. Come back to who it is that you really are, what's authentic to you what it is that you really feel. What is it that you see? What is it that you want? What is it that's important to you? And just come back to your own strength. That is your intelligence. That is your awareness. That is your consciousness. And that's all I have to say for now.